welcome back to Sex Here and Now, the podcast dedicated to promoting sex positivity and inclusivity. As always, I am your host, Matt Lockman. I'm a licensed clinical therapist, and I specialize in working with individuals and couples in areas relating to sexual health, sexual dysfunction, and overall sex therapy. This podcast does contain language that some may find offensive. But with that being said, let's dive right in. Hey, everyone. Oh, I'm so excited to be back and recording uh, the first episode of 2020. Well, technically the second episode. I guess the first episode was the update episode, just letting you know uh, what is to come this year. So as another update, you know, I promised that I would have some interviews uh, for all of you listeners, and that is still going to happen. Um, I have a few friends and a few colleagues lined up, and it's just really about finding the right schedule for everyone and sitting down and, you know, is alcohol going to be involved to loosen up some inhibitions that people may um, may have in regards to talking about sexuality and development and, you know, all these fun topics that we don't talk a lot about typically. So um, those episodes will be coming, I promise. Um, but I wanted to start this new year with uh, something that is really close to home to me um, and one of my favorite topics to talk to clients about and to talk to my friends about in general, and that is the topic of consensual non-monogamy. And this is going to be a fun conversation to have because there is a ton of research out there and there's a ton of information just in general in regards to consensual non-monogamy and what it is and how people incorporate it into their lives. So um, I think it's going to be fun. I, I hope you get some really good information out of it. And uh, and yeah, so with that being said, I'm sort of going to break this down into a few different areas. I think to start, I'll just explain a little bit about what consensual non-monogamy is and how people use it in their relationship, um, what is the history around monogamy and non-monogamy. And then from there, I think I'll just move into talking about different types of consensual non-monogamy. There are so many different types out there. And just helping you, the listener, understand specific terms to use in these situations. And then from there, talk a little bit about sexual ethics, because we all need to be up to date on sexual ethics. And there's a model out there that is used fairly regularly when it comes to consensual non-monogamy. And then I think I'll just wrap up talking about problems that people face and barriers to why people don't explore consensual non-monogamy and fears that people have and, you know, the biggest one of them all being jealousy, you know, and that relationship that we have with jealousy in relation to love and sex and are they the same thing? Are they connected? Are they not connected? So yeah, so I think just a ton of information um, for you and as always, any questions that you have, please let me know because this topic is such a broad one and one that a lot of people think about um, and want to explore, uh, but they don't know how to. So 
Uh, with that being said, you know, what is consensual non-monogamy? <laughs> you know, like there's this, we hear so many different phrases out there. We hear open relationships, we hear polyamory, polyfidelity, all these things out there swinging, I think was the biggest one that we'll touch a little bit about later on. But consensual non-monogamy, you know, really is that umbrella term. It's that term out there that people use, that uh, clinicians use when we talk about relationships that do not follow a standard partnered relationship uh, where exclusivity is required and there are only two members involved. So when we look at monogamy, that's really what we see. It's exclusivity, it's two members, it's two people committing to each other, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, all of that wrapped within this one couple. And I think it's important to note that this is what we call a traditional relationship. So when we when we look at traditional relationships versus non-traditional relationships, we really put monogamy up as the standard for traditional. And all other kinds of relationships like consensual non-monogamy fall into this non-traditional path. And I was just at this training, you know, a few weeks ago for my sex therapy certification process. And, you know, the the leader of the training, she brought up the terms traditional, non-traditional, and I, I raised my hand and I said, you know, I really hate that we phrase consensual non-monogamy in terms of non-traditional because it makes it seem like there's something wrong with it, right? Because when we think about a traditional path, we think about something that is quote-unquote normal and healthy, because it's traditional, it's what people do, it's, it's, it's the history. And I told her about this and I was like, I really hate that we phrase it in terms of, of being non-traditional um, because they both are perfectly natural and healthy, which I'll, I'll talk a little, about, a little bit about in a second. Uh, but the, the facilitator of the training looked at me and she's like, Matt, I hear you. And I'm gonna tell you to be quiet <laughs> because she made this distinction that because sex therapy is so new to people, we really need to show where we've come from as a society and how we got to where we are today. And we need to show that there was this one path that was laid out for people and that this path became the norm and it became the traditional path. And that was monogamy. Now, consensual non-monogamy has been around forever, uh, way before any of us were born, way before our parents were born. Way back in the day, a lot of people would have different partners um, throughout their lives. And this monogamy came about, um, and, and it really stuck with the community and with people. So we call it the traditional path. And she said, I, I fully understand what you're saying, but non-traditional, don't look at it as a positive and negative. Look at it as just from a historical perspective. And I really appreciated that because it, it helped me understand that you're right. I'm the one that's projecting this negativity onto this non-traditional path. And in reality, it's just we look at it and there's traditional and non-traditional. So, so that tangent is done, <laughs> but... 
But yes, the main thing to note here is that when a lot of people come to me wanting to explore this consensual non-monogamy and, you know, they're always very hesitant and, and whether it's open relationships or it's polyamory or it's swinging or it's casual sex or it's, you know, relationship anarchy, anything that's that's considered non-traditional, you know, the individuals always think there is something wrong with them. You know, they look at themselves and they think, I have this partner in front of me who who I love and I, I look at them and I couldn't imagine life without them. So why do I want to have sex with somebody else? Or why am I developing feelings for somebody else? And they really start to shame themselves and they think something's wrong with them. And, and that's unfortunate, but it's understandable because look at our society. Honestly, you're, you hear me say this a lot throughout these podcasts, but, but look at what is getting promoted. I like to look at entertainment because I'm a huge movie person, um, and TV, you know, I actually had to set a rule for myself this year that I will read at least an hour a night before I start binge watching my favorite shows. But when I do binge watch my favorite shows and the things that are out there, what am I seeing? I'm seeing monogamy, right? I'm seeing love, I'm seeing, this, the difficulty of, I well, I have to stay with my partner for better or worse. I have to sacrifice, you know, I have to give up this, this side of me. You know, I like to, to think that someday there's going to be a great television show out there that really is just about consensual non-monogamy and how it is normal and healthy and how we don't need to regulate it to a side character you know, someone who's not in the show enough and, oh, they're having a, a consensual non-monogamous relationship and isn't that crazy? You know, I really hope that we can get to this place where we see this more commonly because the more that we show it, the more that we show consensual non-monogamous relationships, the more people are going to understand that their wants and their desires are not bad and they don't need to shame themselves. One example of this recently is uh, the reboot of the show, The L Word. It's called Generation Q. And I didn't watch the old seasons, which I apologize for people who are probably thinking to themselves, how the hell did you not watch that show? It's so great. And you know what? I apologize. And maybe I will watch it one day. I keep getting hounded by some of my friends to watch the old seasons. But this Generation Q was amazing. And I really appreciated what they did in the context of one of the characters. Her name is Alice. And, you know, I'm going to give away a tiny bit of a spoiler, but she gets into a thruple-ish, um, polyamorish relationship uh, with her girlfriend and her girlfriend's ex-wife. And how the show navigates it is it's very... They, they do it very beautifully because they, they talk about or they depict the struggles that Alice is having throughout this journey. So 
that's a great representation. And you know what? There could be other representations out there, and I just haven't seen it. So if there are representations of consensual non-monogamy in the world, please, please throw them my way so I can watch it and I can see, you know, what's being depicted. And so just sticking with this normalcy narrative just for a little bit longer, there are a lot of myths out there about what creates a normal relationship for people. And a lot of my work that I do with couples and with individuals is helping them unlearn what they think is normal when it comes to relationships. You know, we create our own relationships. We create our own rule book. That's one of the main things I tell these individuals. Do not look at your friends' relationships. Do not look at relationships of individuals in the media and compare yourself to those relationships. Because when we start comparing our relationships to others, what do we do? We critique, we feel bad, we think we're missing out on something. And in reality, what's really happening is there's something that's tugging within us that's making us feel uncomfortable and we need to address it with our partner. So go in with that mindset when it comes to consensual non-monogamy. You need to look at it as this is just a normal alternative to individuals who don't want to participate in monogamy. And for all of you history buffs out there, you know, when we look back in time, and this is depicted really well in the books um, called The Ethical Slut by Dossie Eaton and Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel, we note and we discover that people married, so they enter this monogamous relationship, they get married, and the main reasons they did it was for safety and security, not for love and sex. Love and sex came a lot later. So people would enter this with the expectation that you are going to provide for me and I'm going to provide for you, and that's it. What is love? What is sex? You know, sex is there for procreation, but not desire, not love. All of that stuff came so much later. And the expectations are changing. You know, the great Esther Perel, in her book, Mating in Captivity, talks about how we don't need to get our needs met all by one person anymore. That there are multiple people out there that can fulfill our needs. You know, we have workout buddies. We have the best friend that we can fight in. We have our crude friend that we can tell, you know, our not-so-appropriate jokes to. We have our parents who we can talk to about, you know, intricate problems that we're wanting guidance on. So we don't have to get all of our needs met by one person. And this is such a huge point that I really want individuals to understand and you know I, I like to I like to I honestly do like to bring up the divorce rate and the infidelity rate in general um, because people are so afraid to talk about how they want to explore outside that they cheat in one way or another because to them they they are connecting this love and sex piece together as one thing 
and they're going and they're seeking it outside of the relationship because they're not getting it in the relationship and they're afraid to say something about it. So the infidelity rate is between 60% and 80%. And it just depends on how you define what infidelity is. And this is huge, right? Like when we look at infidelity, think about your own relationships that you're having. What is considered cheating? Is there emotional cheating? Um, physical cheating? Um, short-term cheating? Long-term cheating? What, what is cheating for you? Are you allowed to text somebody else and talk to them potentially intimately? And what does intimately look like? Have you had these conversations with your partner? Can your partner go on, um, you know, a date, a hangout session with, with another individual and you won't feel threatened by that? Or do you feel threatened by that? I guarantee a lot of people haven't had that talk about what is considered cheating. Um, and I can guarantee that because most of my clients come in after a bout of cheating has occurred and they didn't know that it was cheating because it was never talked about. So I encourage you to sit down and talk to your partner about what cheating is within your relationship. Because I don't like seeing that this infidelity rate is above 50%. To me, that shows that there is this huge lack of communication that's happening within partners or amongst partners because there could be more than two people in a relationship, which is what we're learning today. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate that this infidelity rate is so high. But being that nobody likes to talk about cheating and infidelity, let's move on a little bit from this. Um, and let's look at some research and statistics that are out there when we do look at consensual non-monogamy. So typically, about 5% of the population engages in one form of consensual non-monogamy. Um, and it's only 5% that reports it. Um, a majority of individuals haven't reported this, so we don't have a full accurate number. But 5% is pretty fucking big um, when you think about it. And this helps us really understand that this is a relationship lifestyle. These lifestyles that are held within consensual non-monogamy that people do gravitate towards. It's great to hear and it's great to see that more people are feeling comfortable doing these, these kinds of relationships and really sticking towards being authentic within themselves. said sort of defining what consensual non-monogamy is I think it would be great to just dive into various different types of consensual non-monogamy and and what have you heard out there and do you know people who participate in these non-traditional relationships and so I think the first one that comes to mind for most people would be swinging um, so swinging tends to be um, a coupled thing that individuals do, where as a couple, and typically these are heterosexual couples, but they can be, you know, homosexual couples as well, they will jump into 
another relationship or another sexual conquest with another couple. And so it tends to be two couples playing together is the essential term that we like to use. And, you know, this term, it was used a lot back back in the day. And a lot of older generations really promote this term. And a lot of older generations lived this term and really pioneered it. And just anecdotally, swinging really is something that is for an older generation. And I'm saying that because millennials today, Gen Gen Zers, younger individuals, they're the ones who are becoming more comfortable with consensual non-monogamy, with talking about boundaries within the relationships and desires that they have. And so a a full-on traditional swinging couple is hard to come by these days because sexual fluidity is so common amongst individuals within these relationships. So after swinging, we can look into casual sex. And I'm sure most of you are thinking, how the hell is casual sex a form of consensual non-monogamy? This doesn't make sense. But when you think about it, it does make sense because it is a single individual having multiple partners at the same time. So if I'm engaging in casual sex, I'm, I'm talking to somebody and I'm having sex with that individual. And while I'm still talking and getting to know that person, I'm also talking and, and having sex with somebody else. So this would be considered consensual non-monogamy because it is outside the realm of exclusivity and what we consider in traditional relationships. And I think a lot of us engaged or, sorry, I think a lot of us still engage or have engaged in the past in consensual sex with people, and we felt a lot of shame around it, especially um, individuals who identify as women and as female. Um, Wanting sex as a woman? How dare you? I know a lot of my friends felt the pressure of slut-shaming, and the internalized slut-shaming that's done amongst the community is huge. But yes, casual sex, form of consensual non-monogamy. Moving on, we have open relationships. Open relationships essentially are when couples create rules and guidelines to follow um, when they want to have physical intimacy with other members in the community. And fun fact, I myself am in an open relationship with my partner and we've been together for three years. We originally had the conversation about six to eight months into our relationship, and it was very shocking and overwhelming, and I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about factors that play a part and barriers and why individuals don't enter these kinds of relationships. But we went to therapy, we talked about it, and honestly, it's one of the best things that's ever happened to our relationship because we are tapping into our true authenticity as individuals. And again, I'll talk more about that later on. So swinging, casual sex, open relationships. And the other huge one that I'm going to talk about today, and I want you to keep in mind that there are many out there that I'm not touching upon, um, like relationship anarchy, for instance, that's such a unique one. Polyfidelity is another unique one that falls under the realm of polyamorous or polyamory. Um, 
And that essentially is when couples enter into one or more emotional relationships with other individuals, and it can become physical as well. And there are forms that can take place when we talk about a primary relationship, a secondary relationship, and a tertiary relationship. So in the world today, I would say polyamory um, and open relationships are probably the two most common forms of consensual non-monogamy that are taking place. And so when you look at it, I, I don't know if you've ever met anybody in the world. My, my hope is that you have met people who are polyamorous because they're amazing individuals and they really are masters of communication um, when it comes to desire and, and what they expect out of their partners. Um, because there are multiple relationships that people keep up with. Um, and a, a lot of individuals roll their eyes and they're like, oh, more than one partner? That's outrageous. But it truly isn't when you think about it. And love is something that is ever expanding. And when I talk about this with individuals, when I try to explain polyamory and what's happening out there to older generations of people who may not get it or to my friends or to loved ones who are just confused about the concept in general, I like to uh, bring up the notion of kids and pets, you know, and I say, so you have children, if they have children, or I say you have animals, if you've had animals, and I try to bring up something that's relevant within their lives. And I just say, well, well, you don't have a capacity of love for your children or your pets, do you? I mean, true, some days you may like a kid more than, you know, other days. But the love that you have for your children, it's pretty equal and it's pretty expansive. So I like to use this example because it shows that you can have love and show love for more than one person. It's the same thing within polyamory and in open relationships. These individuals want to show love and support to other people in the community. So it's definitely something that takes you some time to sit and digest with. But once it's digestible and you understand it, it's pretty interesting and you'll see that it's pretty normal for these individuals to enter these kinds of relationships. sexual ethics and problems that people have throughout these relationships and why it's important to address certain criteria before you jump in to a consensual non-monogamy relationship. So Braun Harvey and Vigorito, they created this sexual ethics model and it's really cool to use. I, I believe it was originally created for individuals who have out-of-control sexual behavior, um, but it's it's honestly incorp can be incorporated when for couples to use when they talk to one another. So it's it's a six-layered model, and it just looks at consent, non-exploitation, having honest conversations, sharing values with your partners, 
mutual pleasure and then protection. And it's protection against unwanted STIs in pregnancy. And that's a huge thing for individuals out there. And it's a fear in general. You know, we haven't talked a lot about sexually transmitted infections, but they get such this terrible stigma that's associated with them. And it's really unfortunate because it's what people use to slut shame individuals um, when they want to engage in other sexual activities. Um, sexually transmitted infections are something that happen um, throughout these exchanges uh, and they shouldn't be looked at any differently than you having an exchange um, shaking the hands or hugging somebody else that you know and them giving you a cold that's sort of how I want you to, to frame it and you know I'll actually make a note to talk about this with some of my colleagues and really dive into the sexually transmitted infections, stigma and shame that's out there. But talking about specific problems and things that and areas that need to be explored, looking at this like a checklist before you dive into consensual non-monogamy, there's a few things that I would recommend that you do in your relationship. And so the first thing I would recommend is looking at trust, um, because trust is essential. If you find that you do not trust your partner uh, and you do not trust their actions and, and you're feeling that there is this full-on lack of security in your relationship, then I would not recommend engaging in consensual non-monogamy. A lot of people view sex as this huge threat and this great risk to the relationship. And I just want to break it down pretty simple for you listeners out there. Sex is just sex. And it is how you frame it for yourself. That is what leads you to being comfortable with consensual non-monogamy or not. Sex and love are not connected inherently. Now we can connect them and we do connect them. You know, we like to show our love for our partners by having sex with them. But that's not always the case. But these are the moments that I would explore with your partner and I would talk to them about these situations. Sex doesn't have to be this make or break action that occurs within the relationship. You know, for me, in my relationship, I look at my partner and I can feel the amount of love that he has for me, physically, emotionally, and just because he wants to engage um, in other sexual activities with other individuals, I'm fine with that because I know that that is just an interaction that he is having. And this emotional connection that he has with me is different and we'll talk about emotional connection in a minute as well but trust is essential and within that process communication is key um, research shows that individuals in consensual non-monogamy relationships are better at communicating with one another and you know that makes sense right you know you are talking about sex and love and how it plays a part with you. Individuals who engage in consensual non-monogamy are always 
evaluating and reevaluating and breaking down this shame that has occurred um, throughout many years and dissecting it and recreating this view and this value system. So they are going to be talking about their feelings and processing them a lot. Once that happens, we can't just stop communicating. Once you engage in consensual non-monogamy, you can't just say all of a sudden, well, we're good, don't need to really communicate about it anymore, because that is going to lead to problems. <laughs> um, communication is essential. If you are feeling triggered and anxious um, and jealous, which we're about to talk about, you need to bring that up with your partner so both of you can get on the same page of what is behind this jealousy and what is behind this trigger. What is the action? And jealousy really does get this awful rap out there. You know, people say you can't be jealous or you need to be jealous or how could you not be jealous? And it, it just has this negative stigma associated to it. And I encourage everyone listening to just detach that negativity from it and look at it neutrally. And so jealousy is just an emotion and emotions are okay to have. We need to have emotions so that we can build connections in the world and we can stay healthy. And jealousy is just another emotion that we have. And really, when you look at it, what is jealousy? Jealousy occurs when we are feeling threatened. Something is out there that is causing a threat to us, and it is making us feel these forms of anxiety and anger and sadness all wrapped into one. And when this happens, we need to explore it. Jealousy is going to creep in and out of your relationship. Um, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous, but especially in non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, it's going to come up. And so I encourage you to do a couple things. One would be to sit with your feelings. So try to understand why you're feeling jealous without any judgment. Are you feeling like you're going to lose your partner? What is behind this emotion? So sit with the feeling and look at it. And then before you react to the situation, just take a few deep breaths. Jealousy can cause some big reactions in individuals, and it can really cause us to be impulsive. Because, right, we don't like feeling anxious and sad and angry and all these feelings all at once. We really want to do what we can, get it out there, solve it so we can be done with it. But I encourage you to just sit. Sit with it for a second and understand what is going on. And then before you communicate with your partner, I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because consensual non-monogamy is hard. Entering into these kinds of relationships are hard for many reasons. Take a moment and validate all the progress that you've made. Then communicate with your partner. Talk to them about what is going on. What is happening? Why are you feeling these forms of jealousy? And then once you can figure it out, turn towards each other. And what I mean by that is remember that you chose this person to be in your life. You trust them. You love them. You're honest with them. So 
turn towards them and know that they have your back and that you have their back as well. And recognize that these feelings are going to come up from time to time, but you two are on the same team together. So I feel like I could go on and on talking about this, but I know that most people are probably getting a little bit bored of my voice and the amount of ums that I am saying. So I'm going to end with with a couple things. One is make sure you set rules and boundaries within your relationship. So Tammy Nelson, um, she has a book out there called The New Monogamy, and it's fantastic. And she has created this relationship boundaries checklist that I would highly recommend downloading and going through and sitting with your partner and talking about each question. She she breaks it down into roughly nine categories, um, and it's it's super easy for you to use and to navigate. And you can skip sections if you want to, but it just brings up questions. Um, and I, I encourage my monogamous listeners to do this as well. When's the last time you sat with your partner and talked about your relationship? So that's one thing. And lastly, the biggest thing to remember and what a lot of people tend to get confused about is that once you enter a consensually non-monogamous relationship, you are in it for the rest of your lives. <laughs> I'm joking. You don't have to be in it forever. So it's not like once the door is open, it stays open. That's that's not how it works. The door is, is open sometimes. It can be closed. It can be swung in the other direction. It is all about communication. If you enter a consensual non-monogamous relationship with your partner, you are 100% allowed to close that relationship back up if you are feeling these problems of insecurity. Now, what I would recommend you doing first is walking through this those tips I have relating to insecurity and jealousy with your partner. And don't just close the door right away. But after walking through these steps, if you are still feeling like you want to close the door, close it. Close it for a week. Close it for a month. Just make that decision with your partner. And as always, seek therapy. Seek a sex-positive sex therapist. They are the ones trained in this. Do not just go to Psychology Today and type in sex therapy and find any random individual out there who has it as a specialty that's listed. Read their bios, go to their websites, make sure that they are sex positive because there are therapists out there who will shame you for trying to embark on this journey. I'm not one of them, and I know thousands and thousands of individuals who aren't as well. You can also go to the ASECT website. Again, that's the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, asect.org, and you can search for a provider that way. I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode, and I really encourage all of you to sit down with your partner if you're in a relationship and talk to them about your relationship in general and where you think it's going and boundaries that you have and just re-explore it with them. And for those of you who are single, I hope this episode has shed some light 
on knowing that there are multiple different ways of having a relationship and you do not need to just have a monogamous one just because that's what society says. Find what feels authentic to you and go and explore it. And that does it for this week's episode. As always, you can follow me on Instagram for more news and updates about the podcast at sex underscore here and now pod. You can also look at my website, clevelandsextherapy.com for more information as well. You can also like and follow my page on Facebook entitled Sex Here and Now. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sex positive. Mm-hmm.